Well, that was a, a mighty fine baptism. But I'm here to tell you there was once another baptism that was far greater. Um, not only was the subject greater, more beloved, yes, even then, sweet baby Hosanna, and the baptizer was greater too, yes, even greater than the well-esteemed Reverend Dave Crump. I'm speaking of the baptism of the Lord Jesus by John, the last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets. So I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, and we'll read verses 13 to 17. This is a rare text, brothers and sisters. Read with care. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So here's the account of the baptism of Jesus that, uh, that raises three great questions, or several questions, two questions anyway, about the relationship uh, between the Father and the Son and us. It, it comes down to this. The love and pleasure uh, with which the Father regards his Son is perfectly reflected uh, in the love and pleasure with which the Son regards us his sons and daughters, and the pleasure with we, which we also may reflect back upon the Son. So just to get started, uh, Jesus, this, this is a wonderful uh, Trinitarian text, isn't it? Uh, we, have, we, have God, uh, we have God the Son, that is the Lord Jesus, standing in or, or uh, next to the river, and we have God the Holy Spirit descending and resting upon Jesus, and we have the voice of God the Father um, audibly speaking from heaven. But what I want to look at with special care this morning are the Father's words to his Son recorded in verse 17. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now why, why does, uh, why does the Father, why is the Father so well pleased and delighted with the Son? To begin with, we may be certain that he loves him because after all, he is his Son. And should we be surprised to hear the Father tell us that, he's in, that he loves his only Son? After all, on him, on the beloved Son, all of the fullness and power and perfection and glory of Christ rests 
and is reflected perfectly. Jesus says to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. As the second person of the Trinity is holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, having lived from eternity with the Father and the Spirit and being perfectly at one uh, with each of them. He is in every way the perfect Son. At the transfiguration, the Son says again, speaking from a cloud to the apostles Peter, James, and John, saying, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. So, of course, the Father loved him. Uh, do you love your son or daughter? But for a second thing, uh, the Father loves and delights in his son, Jesus, because of his obedience. Because of his obedience. We can, we can think of it this way. Uh, theologians talk about you know, an economic agreement between the three persons of the Trinity performed each in relationship to their person. And so uh, if we uh, can see that, we might suppose that uh, God the Father says, I am the creator, and I will graciously elect a great number of, uh, uh, to eternal life. This is a Trinitarian decision. The, and God the Son said, and I will go and redeem those and will pay the debt of their sin and clothe them in righteousness. And God the Holy Spirit says, and I will convert them. I will open their eyes and regenerate their sin dead in hearts so they can receive Jesus and have faith and be saved. Why does the Father delight in the Son? Because of his obedient, perfect performance of that great and terrible messianic chore. Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, the perfect and holy God who dwelt in inapproachable light and perfect fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit was incarnate and came down uh, uh, to, um, to earth. It was not a vacation. It was not a family-friendly visit. It was a miserable job for Jesus God to plunge himself into the moral squalor and turpitude of our lives, the pride, the anger, the self-righteousness, the, the sexual filth, and the terrible tragedies and sicknesses and endless conflicts in homes and marriages and communities. Jesus saw it all. And, and he lived in the midst of it all. Um, while at the same time, all that then, remaining morally untouched by it all in a perfect, sinless life. And so then, uh, on the cross, somehow, he bore the debt of his people on himself. For on the cross, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust uh, to bring you to God. Jesus came to do what we could never do for ourselves. He paid the debt of our sin. But we are not to think of this work of Christ, his perfect obedience as he, to the eternal plan of the Father of salvation lightly as if it were some sort of easy task. Why do you think he was found groaning at the Garden of Gethsemane in prayer? And, and how can we possibly calculate the personal cost of his 
utter humiliation as a, as a suffering servant and the intense physical and, and moral anguish of it all superciliously ignored and mocked and, and cursed and struck and tortured to death at the hands of wicked little people whom he came to save. But it was not for naught. For he was resurrected and returned victorious to heaven, having perfectly completed his messianic work. Success! Mission accomplished! He did it, and he did it perfectly. And so, yes, the Father loves him for that, loves him for his obedience, for his redemptive work, so completely and perfectly uh, accomplished. Well, perhaps most of all, the Father loves and delights in the Son for how exactly he made us so delightfully fit for heaven, how he, he took our sin-damning record upon himself so that we might be completely forgiven. And further, he exchanged it for his perfect record, uh, the perfect goodness, the moral goodness of Christ being imputed or credited to us, making us completely righteous. It's called the great exchange. You've, you've heard that. Uh, Jesus' work of redemption uh, was to take upon himself our sin and in exchange to give us his righteousness so that the Father looks upon the Son and the perfection of Christ and he is delighted in his Son. And because uh, of his Son, he's delighted in us. Now, let me try to make this clear with a little picture that I heated up in my overheated imagination. Here, 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 is, a, <clears throat> here is a man who is presented uh, to God on the throne on the last day, and you must be sure there will be such a day when we all stand before the Lord. It's appointed for a man to die once and face the judgment. Well, the accuser, the enemy is there, Satan is quick there with a surly smile on his face, and he jumps right into the proceedings and says, Lord, Lord, you know perfectly well uh, that this sweet-looking uh, monster of a sinner is, is right before you. I have a certified long list of, 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 of offenses that would take a, a week to read through. Look at him. Look at him, Lord. This, this, he's a, such a hypocrite and a liar and filled with unbelief. Do you seriously, Lord, uh, expect to mean to take, to allow this man into your holy heaven? But Jesus, the advocate, the friend of sinners, uh, uh, the Savior interrupts him. Sin? I don't see any sin. And that paper is trash. I, I, I actually died for that man. He is no sinner. And the father says, and that's what I see too. In fact, he looks lovely to me. In fact, he is lovely and perfect in every way, just like my son. I do love him. He's welcome and expected. And Satan, how dare you bring a word or charge against this precious saint? Do you see the, the pierced hands of my son and his side and feet? Get! And Jesus, the son, says, I can't wait to throw my arms around him. Well, it may not be exactly like that. It, it probably will be better, but, but I, I know I've got the facts right. 
So, so to answer the first question, why does the Father love and delight in the Son? It's because uh, the Son came uh, to earth at such a terrible cost, uh, and, and because he has perfectly and obediently uh, completed his a messianic chore and, and winning for us new life in this age and, and because in him we are so marvelously saved and completely and forgiven forgiven and uh, righteous and lovely in the sight of God just like his son and that's the gospel truth even at his baptism the father saw all of this about to happen knew that it was as good as done and he said this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So now we have only to answer the second question. Uh, I stuffed your bulletin, so some of you who took a bulletin got, got one of these outlines. The question is, how then shall we respond to all that? How shall we reflect or demonstrate our love uh, back to the Son? And first of all, of course, we must ask him to save us and confess him as our Savior and Lord. Should, should we be so suicidally unresponsive and ungrateful uh, to the plan and design, the only offer of salvation given by the Trinity? Uh, and, and to pass it by with a yawn or some silly argument or refusal. How wicked is that? How can a man or a woman or, or a young person express obedient love uh, and, and delight in the Lord without confessing, without acknowledging him? The Apostle Paul said it well. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I think it was... John the Baptist, who himself said uh, the same thing. He said, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not believe in the Son will not see life. God's wrath remains on him. Look, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's true. Paul was right, of course. But it's altogether another story for those who have confessed the Lord Jesus, who have been supernaturally regenerated and made spiritually alive by God's amazing grace. Our eyes are opened to the gospel. We see and we understand uh, and we've experienced what Jesus did for us to give us this new life and this new relationship with God. And we can say to ourselves and should and must say to ourselves, I am in Christ and loved by him and delightful in his sight and made fit for heaven. Hallelujah. That's a point where Orthodox Presbyterians could say amen or <laughs> something like that. I mean, is this amazing or what? But... But that's what Jesus did. Like the Father, we love him and are delighted in him. And we're not ashamed to say it. We love his people, we love his worship, we love his name. It's not debatable. <laughs> we know and love him by his deeds, and we're commanded to say it and show it. Now look, there's, there's scores of people here around you in this congregation 
who have, whether you know it or not, freely and enthusiastically owned Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and will be happy to tell you stories about Jesus in their life and why they resonate with the Father's confession of the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. You cannot possibly despise dismiss all of us, not to mention the millions of people throughout the world and through the ages as utter fools and, and self-deceived. If you're not clear on this, talk with Pastor Peters or one of the elders or anyone with the last name of church. <laughs> but I, I'm not quite finished because at this point, someone may be saying to themselves, yes, I can understand how the Father must love and delight in the Son. And I can see how there are many people who receive that love and, and, and seem to be willing and able and are loving God back. And I think I can understand that uh, one must confess Christ to be saved. But for myself, I, I don't see how I could possibly live this sort of life before the face of God. It just seems out of reach to me. I don't see how I could... Uh, possibly live before the face of God. It, 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 it's for people who are stronger and, and, and more spiritually obedient than me. If you're like that, you may even be intimidated by some of the enthusiastic lovers of Jesus in this very congregation and be thinking to yourself, I don't think I can do this. I'm not even sure I want to do this. Well, I want you to know I completely understand and that's why I'm actually excited to tell you about the power of the third person of the Trinity. We've, we've spoken of the Father and the Son, but remember, uh, there's the Spirit. And what does the Spirit have to do with us and with all of this? Well, <laughs> it's very important, for we are called to love and serve God, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have another story for you, and I'll try to make it quick. This isn't mine. This is one I read, and maybe you've heard of it too. It's called the, the Story of the Salvation Sedan. So there was once a, a young lady who received from her father a remarkable, amazing gift, a beautiful Salvation Sedan. It was the most beautiful car anyone had ever seen. It was shiny. It was new. It was powerful. And, uh, and, and she was... She used to stand by and look at it and admire it and, and polish it a little bit, not that it needed any polishing. And, um, and, and if somebody came by, she was always happy to tell them a little bit about it. And, and she, would. she would. She would say, well, you know, it was a free gift for my father and completely undeserved. I want you to know, I was, I, I was not... Um, I was not a, a good kid. Um, I, I never did anything more every day than to give my father lip and trouble and rebellion. And I certainly don't deserve this gift. He just up and gave it to me. He paid for the whole thing right then and there. It was free. Well, one day a stranger came by to admire her salvation sedan, and, and she went through her customary explanation, although she admitted it was getting to be a, a bit of work, you know, pushing it around wherever she went. Someone had very helpfully put on the rear bumper of the car some pads with which she could put her shoulders. She pushed it 
off along and, and um, to church every Sunday, of course, and still look happy. But she sighed. It was a beautiful, amazing gift, after all. But the stranger wasn't even, wasn't even listening very carefully, but admiring the car, and suddenly he opened the door and slid behind the wheel. She had never done anything like that before. But he urged her to, to get in and, and to sit back, and, and then he reached over and turned the key in the ignition. It had been there all along, and the car roared into life. And he drove her right down the road to the church, I suppose. And the girl was absolutely amazed and delighted. And now she loved her salvation sedan more than ever. Do you follow my story? Do you get it? Even, even Jesus at his baptism received at least symbolically uh, a baptism. Uh, the Spirit came down to assure him uh, of the divine power of God that he would need the Holy Spirit as he began his great messianic chore. Um, God, God himself who gives us grace and gives us love and faith, also gives us the power and the love to follow him. The gift of salvation always comes with the gift of the Spirit, right? When the people gathered at Pentecost, having heard the gospel and having understood their complicity and the depth of their sin and the death of Christ, they cried out and said, brothers, what shall we do? And the apostle Peter, who was never short for words, stood up and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, to all who the Lord God will call to himself. So if you're wondering how you can follow Christ, let alone love and delight in him, hear that promise and command. Ask the Lord to forgive your proud and faithless reluctance to save you, and, and with it, for they always come together, to give you the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit, brothers and sisters, simply cannot resist the call of a repentant, the cry of a repentant sinner who knows how weak he is, and he will enable you to delight and follow Christ. Now, very quickly, uh, one last thing. We've seen why the Father so loves and delights in the Son, and we've seen how we can delight and express our love and delight in the Father and the Son, confessing and resting in Him and the grace and power of the Spirit. But, but don't we also demonstrate our love and delight and obedience to the Father uh, in faith, by in faith, putting the sign of baptism on our children? Jesus himself received the sign of baptism at the hand of John. And, and then again, what did, did Peter say to the people at Pentecost for the promises to you and to your children and for all who are far off and the Lord our God will call? What promise do Christian parents put on the heads of their children at baptism? It's the promise of saving grace. Now, it's not a magical thing as if 
you know, Pastor David splashes some water and the, and the child is instantly saved. Um, God's, it's not that. It's God's eternal covenant. Uh, it's a faithful response to God's eternal covenant to fill the earth with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And we know clearly from Scripture that God has a special love for the children of believers. And so we obediently give them this sign. We instruct them in the faith. We urge, even demand that they confess Christ. We pray for them every day in the church with us. And then we patiently wait, uh, trusting God uh, to give them also um, love and delight in the Son, Jesus Christ, that we have ourselves and which we share with the Father faithfully waiting to hear from their lips that blessed confession saying this is my faith too this is indeed uh, uh, the beloved son whom I also love and in whom I also delight amen Lord our God thank you for your amazing word and for those gracious things that you brought about through your son our savior and we do pray that we might recognize well how you love uh, the son and delighted in him and lord we pray that we might also share that great delight and love of christ and that our children might share it after us we pray in jesus name amen <laughs>